Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is April 11th. Today we are going to continue in this week's Come Follow Me blog and we're going to continue where we left off. Now we're just going to talk a little bit about what came next after the Pharisees called out the Savior's disciples for not washing their hands before they ate. And I've got to warn you, what comes next isn't necessarily the most doctrinally profound thing that we could study, but I think it's so fascinating and I just really like to look at it. And so I just want to take a look a little bit about what comes next, and then we're going to jump to the end of Matthew chapter 15. Now, what fascinates me about what the Savior is going to say here is the different accounts that we get in Matthew and Mark. And we'll talk about that in just a second. First of all, let's see how the Savior responds. Remember the Pharisees and the scribes come to the Savior. They call out the disciples for not washing the hands. They specifically say that it's a tradition of the elders. They don't even say the commandment. He says it's a tradition of the elders. And listen to how the Savior responds. He says, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So he's like, well, then why are you willing to break the commandments to uphold a tradition? And then he's going to go on to explain it. Now, I'm going to give you fair warning here. How Matthew says it might not make much sense to us. Listen to what he says, and then I'll explain why it's a little bit confusing. Verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye shall say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now, I'm not going to lie, that makes next to no sense. But let's keep in mind who Matthew was writing for. Matthew wrote his book for the Jews. And so when the Savior says, hey, you're completely breaking the commandment by following your tradition, The Jews would have understood that. They would have understood what commandment they were breaking and what tradition was breaking the commandment. Now let's flip over really quick to the book of Mark. Now remember, Mark was writing for the Gentile, for people who didn't necessarily understand the ways or the traditions of the Jews as much. Now what I love here is that we get the exact same teaching, the exact same story, but we understand it a little better because Mark was trying to teach people who didn't necessarily understand the traditions of the Jews. So he says, starting in verse 10 of Mark 7, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. So again, he gives the law. This is the law that Moses gave. And I love that he makes a point of saying, hey, this is the law of Moses, because the scribes and Pharisees loved Moses. They clung to the law. And so Christ refers them to one of the Ten Commandments. And he says, this is one of the Ten Commandments, but you don't necessarily keep it because of your tradition. He goes on to say, but ye shall say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free, and ye shall suffer him no more to do aught for his father or for his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense to us because we are not familiar with the traditions of this time. We're not familiar with the behaviors and the things that people did here. But that being said, even the Gentiles, once Mark gives the clarification of saying it's a Corbin would have understood what he was talking about. Essentially, a Corbin was 
a Jew pledging all of their belongings and all of their properties to God after they die. So they're allowed to live large while they're alive. They're allowed to have nice things. They're allowed to do all the things that they do. But that money is then pledged to God upon their death. And so essentially what the Savior is saying here is your mother and father come to you and they are impoverished. They are starving and you refuse to help them because you say that you've already pledged your money or offered a Corbin to God. So by your tradition of this Corbin, you are dishonoring your mother and father and you are disobeying the law of Moses. I just think that that is such a fascinating part of this story. So fun to understand this about the culture and understand what the Savior is saying and why the Pharisees would have been so insulted by this saying, but also super fun to see how Mark and Matthew tell the story so differently because their audiences were different. So let's jump back to the book of Matthew to the end of the book. And multitudes have come unto the Savior. He is working miracles. He's making the dumb to speak, the maimed whole, the lame to walk, the blind to see. And they are glorifying the God of Israel. And they have been with him for a while. Verse 32 says that they've been with him for three days and they haven't had anything to eat. Now, what I love here is, again, we see the Savior's love. He says, I have compassion on the multitude. This love and this compassion that the Savior is often feeling and extending to those who are around him is just such a beautiful thing to see and a beautiful thing to emulate. It is a Christ-like attribute that each and every one of us need to strive to develop in our lives. Elder Suarez says, the expression of compassion for others is, in fact, the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a marked evidence of our spiritual and emotional closeness to the Savior. Furthermore, it shows the level of influence he has had on our way of life and demonstrates the magnitude of our spirits. So our ability to follow the Savior in his compassion is a show of our love for the Savior and our understanding of the gospel. And so because the Savior has this compassion and he doesn't want them to leave having not eaten for three days, he decides he wants to, again, feed the multitude. But listen to what the disciples say. It says, And when his disciples say unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Now, what's fascinating is he had already fed the 5,000. They knew what he could do. But instead of focusing on what could be done, they focused on what they didn't have. They could have just as easily come to the Savior and said, you know what, we've got these seven loaves and a few little fishes. Can you make them more? They could have focused on what they had and asked him to multiply it. But instead, they focus on what they don't have. Now, that's a really hard thing to hear. And it's a hard lesson to hear because I think we all sometimes fall into that same trap sometimes of focusing on what we don't have rather than on what we do. Now, what I love about this story is the Savior takes the loaves and the fishes and he gives thanks. He thanks his father in heaven for what he does have. And then notice the sequence of things. After he gives thanks, after his gratitude for the little that they have, then the miracle follows. My friends, sometimes maybe we get so caught up in noticing what we don't have that maybe we limit the Lord's ability to work miracles in our lives. Notice the Savior gave thanks and the miracle followed. And perhaps sometimes the same can be true in our lives. Elder Uchtdorf gave a talk years ago called Grateful in Any Circumstance. 
And he talks kind of about this same sort of thing that in anything that we're going through, even in our lacking, we can find gratitude. He says, it is easy to be grateful for things when life seems to be going our way. But what then of those times when what we wish for seems to be far out of reach? Could I suggest that we see gratitude as a disposition, a way of life that stands independent of our current situation? In other words, I'm suggesting that instead of being grateful for things, we focus on being thankful in our circumstances, whatever they may be. My dear brothers and sisters, the choice is ours. We can choose to be grateful no matter what. This type of gratitude transcends whatever's happening around us. It surpasses disappointment, discouragement, and despair. It blooms just as beautifully in the icy landscape of winter as it does in the pleasant warmth of summer. When we are grateful to God in our circumstances, we can experience gentle peace in the midst of tribulation. In grief, we can still lift up our hearts in praise. In pain, we can glory in Christ's atonement. In the cold of bitter sorrow, we can experience the closeness and warmth of heaven's embrace. Being grateful in times of distress does not mean that we're pleased with our circumstances. It does mean that through the eyes of faith, we look beyond our present-day challenges. This is not a gratitude of the lips, but of the soul. It is a gratitude that heals the heart and expands the mind. My friends, I testify that gratitude is another characteristic of the Savior. And as we express that gratitude, even as we lack, we will better be able to show that gratitude in our abundance. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. 